Hi friends, welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here, and if you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with the Digital Connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. We appreciate you being with us today. Today we're continuing in our series called Not That kind of Christian. Now, we want to take the positive approach. We don't want to be known by what we're against. We want to be known by what we're for. And at the same time, when we say not that kind of Christian, we all know who we're talking about, don't we? We know that there are people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ in America right now. And when you look at how they talk and how they act and what they support, it's difficult to see the Jesus of the Gospels in their words and in their behavior. We have self-professing Christians who seem to be uh, racially motivated, that they're, that they're intending to preserve a, a white majority in the United States and hold on to some kind of, of cultural power that they feel they're losing. Some are supporting political authoritarianism. Uh, they seem to be against diversity. They seem to look down their noses at other people and, and as though they're the moral police of society and they condemn some folks who, who don't, don't look like they do. And, and we all know who we're talking about. And when we read the Jesus of the Gospels, those of us who want to follow Jesus, we're interested in a Jesus-inspired spirituality, we just don't see that Jesus lived out among so many people in America who call themselves Christians. And we think there's a better way. What we're doing in this series is just proclaiming the Jesus we see in the Gospels. That we think there's a different way to follow Jesus Christ than what so many of us are seeing in 21st century America. So today we're talking about the question, how do Christians relate to people of other religions and people of no religion? Because, once again, there are self-professing Christians in the United States who seem to uh, define themselves over against people of other religions. Maybe, maybe they talk disparagingly about Muslims. Maybe they speak disparagingly about Jewish people. And, of course, there was a, another attack on a synagogue just a, a couple of weeks ago in Texas. We see... We see people being attacked uh, because of their skin color or because of whatever religion the attacker thinks they're a part of in the United States. And there are so many of us who, who just want to move past religious wars. And, and we see that there is bigotry involved in the way that some people are treated. And we want to move past that to get to something better, a higher, a higher plane of respecting each other. Uh, a couple of years ago, before the pandemic actually, so it's been more than a couple of years ago, there was uh, somebody in the well whose family member visited from Switzerland. And their family member is a pastor in Switzerland. And after the service on a Sunday morning, he came up to me and, and he said he appreciated what the well stands for and said they're, they're facing the same kind of challenges in Switzerland among people who call themselves Christians there. There are a lot of the same feelings that many of us have about what's happening in the United States among self-professing Christians. And, and, and so he said, you know, I'd love to send you a sermon that I, I gave last week that said pretty much what you said today. And I said, well, sure, absolutely send it to me. And he said, well, it's in French. I said, well, that won't work, unfortunately. I'm sorry. 
but I would love to hear the, you know, the synopsis. And so he told me a little bit about it, but it struck me that somebody in, in, in Europe, in Switzerland, is facing the same kind of issues that we are facing here as far as our Christian faith and how we relate to other people who call themselves Christians, but it's hard to see Jesus in them. Our world is getting smaller. Back when I was in high school, uh, I remember hearing of this, this, new, this newfangled invention that was on its way called the Information Superhighway. And, and somehow we would be able to like send letters to each other through computers. That's, that was my understanding. And then it became known as the World Wide Web. And, and pretty soon, we found ourselves more connected than we had ever been in world history. And now, folks who grow up in the United States are, are exposed at a much earlier age to other religions, other ideas, other points of view that they would not have been exposed to prior to the past couple of decades in the world. It's only been 125 years since airplanes were invented. So we just, we live in a world that is much smaller and we're exposed to different cultures and different religions and different ideas far more than any other people in history. And now because of uh, the fact that America is, is a, a melting pot where we welcome people from all over the world, regardless of their culture, their religion or their creed, their skin color, we're a, we're a welcoming country at least we have been throughout our history, we're a diverse country. And so when, a, when a, a pastor who sincerely has his beliefs about religion, when he proclaims that, that Muslims are going to burn in hell for all of eternity, somebody who hears that doesn't just think of a, of a, a faceless mass of people in the Middle East. They think of their coworker in the next cubicle over, who is a good, decent person. And they hear that pastor say that and they think, you know, my coworker seems to be a good guy and frankly, a more compassionate person than this pastor. Is he gonna go to hell and be lost because he is of a different religion than I am? It just raises questions for thinking, compassionate people in the shrinking world we live in and in the diverse world we live in. And the truth is there have always been thoughtful Christians and thoughtful conservative evangelicals who have asked uh, this question, how do Christians relate to people of other religions or no religion? There has been a, a, a debate about that question throughout Christian history and even among more conservative evangelical folks. So, what we're looking at today is predominantly two views of how Christians view people of other religions or people of no religion and what we believe about them, how our religions interact, can they be saved or not. And then I'm going to present those two views and let you decide what you believe. But then I'm going to talk at the end about how regardless of whatever view you hold, the way we live our lives should look the same as we follow Jesus. So that's where we're headed today. Now there's a belief in Orthodox Christianity that's always been a part of Christianity that Jesus is the way to salvation. It's a standard Christian belief. And when you say that 
Of course, it raises questions. What does that mean exactly? What are the implications of that? And so I'm going to present two views today and how we answer that question. So the first might be known as the exclusivist view. So exclusivists believe that a person must hear the name of Jesus and respond positively to the gospel in order to be saved. That they have to hear somebody talk about Jesus and and share the gospel with them in order to respond and be saved. And of course, that raises questions. What about people who have never heard the name of Jesus? There is a percentage of the world's population where where the gospel is really not, um, it hasn't really reached them. And of course, that's been the case throughout world history. What about people who have heard the name of Jesus, but what they heard was distorted? They got a distorted picture of Jesus. They had a a distorted picture of the gospel. There are probably many people in America who are getting a distorted picture of Jesus right now. What about people who have intellectual questions that have not been resolved sufficiently for them to accept some of the metaphysical claims of Christianity? What about those folks? Of course, those are questions that come up when a person hears the exclusivist view. But exclusivists might point to a few scriptures in the Bible that seem to support their position. For example, in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Apostle Peter said in Acts chapter 4, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to humankind by which we must be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 10, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 10, verse 14, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So for the exclusivist, a person must hear the name of Jesus and hear the gospel in order to be saved. So for the exclusivist, you understand why sharing the gospel And I know I'm kind of using old language there, talking about Jesus, helping to convert people, sharing the gospel in any way possible. You can understand why that's such an urgent need for somebody who holds the exclusivist position. People's people's souls are on the line and their only hope is, is hearing the gospel. And that may be the view that you grew up with. That's probably the view that's most assumed in America today. And so... Again, for some folks, when they hear that, it raises questions. So if God is all-powerful and God is good and and God has decided that the only way for a person to be saved and to somehow have a connection with God or to go to heaven when they die is to hear the name of Jesus and hear the gospel, and, and anybody who hasn't will be lost eternally, you know, well, what about people who have never even had a chance? I mean, that's kind of the first question. They've never even heard. They live and die without even hearing the name of Jesus or the gospel. It just doesn't seem like that's fair. It doesn't seem like if God is good and God is just, it doesn't seem like that's fair. Now, folks who hold the exclusivist position would say, well, you know, that's the state of the human race and, and, and that's God's plan. And, and, but, for, but for other people, it just seems like that doesn't express the justice of God. Abraham was bargaining with God in Genesis chapter 18 about sparing people. And Abraham said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Shall not, shouldn't God do the right thing? And so there's another position on this, uh, on this question. 
and we can call that the inclusivist view. Inclusivists believe that a person can be saved by Jesus, but they may not know the name of Jesus. An inclusivist might cite a verse like Acts chapter 10, when the apostle Peter told Cornelius, who was a Gentile who had never heard the gospel, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Or the prophet Jonah from the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, in in the last chapter of the story, verse 11 Um, Of course, you remember God calls Jonah to preach to the people of Nineveh. Jonah tries to get away. He's swallowed by a fish. It's actually a pretty funny story. And and finally, Jonah has to go preach to the people of Nineveh who were a different religion than than him and a different ethnic group than him. And God says to Jonah, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? God says, I care for the people of Nineveh. And I want to have a relationship with them. And, and then in Psalm 19, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. That passage appears to teach that everyone who hasn't heard the name of Jesus or necessarily the gospel message like Christians would understand it, they see creation and they see God's goodness in creation. And interestingly enough, this is the passage, Psalm 19, that Paul refers to in Romans chapter 10 when he said, how can they hear without a preacher? Later on in verse 8, he says, but I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. So Paul says they did hear. Their voice has gone out into the all, all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. He, he quotes Psalm 119, and then he quotes Isaiah in verse 20, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, Paul writes, This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so inclusivists might look at those verses and say, well, perhaps Perhaps God's grace is wider than that. Now, if you've never heard that before, that can be jolting to you. And I know what that feels like, actually. The first time I ever heard the inclusivist view, ironically, was in a a missions class at a Christian college that I attended in rural Ohio. And this was a a class with a professor who was a a missionary to the world. It was a world missions class. And, and he had served as a missionary in Papua New Guinea. He was on furlough and, and was teaching this class during his time back in the United States. This is a man who devoted his life to traveling overseas to share the gospel with the people of Papua New Guinea. And, and he spoke in class about the wideness of God's mercy. And that was a term that I had not heard before. Most of the students in class had not heard before. And, and he explained it, that, uh, that it means that a person somehow, the possi- it's possible that a person could be saved by Jesus without ever hearing the name of Jesus, that God's grace is, is at work in the world, that God loves everybody. And it, it, it may be possible that God could call people of cultures who had never heard, who had never even had the chance to hear the Gospels. And... and, and or a person who had a distorted picture of Jesus 
because of the culture that they lived in. And, and perhaps God's grace was, was bigger than just hearing the name of Jesus as a requirement to be saved. And that was jolting to me because of the way that I grew up. I, I, was, I was raised thinking, you know, yeah, if, if, you, if you never heard the name of Jesus, well, I guess you're just out of luck. And, and that was accepted in, in my church circle. And, and so when I heard this missions professor of all people say that, it, I was taken aback by it. It was shocking to me. But then over the years, I started to think about that more. And, and I realized as I researched, there's always been a diversity of thought within Christianity around this question about who can be saved and, and how God's grace is at work in the world. There has been this belief in the wideness of God's mercy throughout the history of Christianity alongside the exclusivist view. For example, Justin Martyr was born in the year 100 in, in what, would, what is now the West Bank of Israel. And he was a Gentile who became a believer in Jesus and, and became an apologist, a defender of the faith. And, and like in John chapter 1, Justin Martyr viewed Jesus as the Logos, the Word. It's translated in English, but in Greek it's the Logos. The Greek philosophers viewed the Logos as the, the ground of all being, the, the organizing principle of the universe in Greek thought. And, and the Gospel of John says that's Jesus. And Justin Martyr followed suit and, and said the, the Logos is, is found in Jesus Christ. And he wrote in chapter 46 of, of what's called his first apology. We have been taught that Christ is the firstborn of God, and we have suggested above that he is the Logos of whom every race of men and women were partakers. And they who lived with the Logos are Christians, even though they have been thought atheists. As among the Greeks, Socrates and, and Heraclitus and people like them. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? That even folks who were not exposed to the gospel but were exposed to Greek philosophy and that called them to a higher way of living and goodness and truth and beauty and human flourishing. Justin Martyr says that they lived with the Logos. They, they somehow lived with Jesus, even though they were not Christians. I mean, that, that sounds scandalous to somebody who was raised the way I was. St. Augustine is one of the most uh, influential figures in the history of Christianity. He lived from 354 to 430 AD. He was a bishop from northern Africa and, and, and was possibly the most influential theologian in Western Christianity. In On Baptism, chapter 20, he writes this, But on the question whether we ought to prefer a Catholic of the most abandoned character to a heretic, <laughs> and in these, in these discussions throughout church history, they called uh, unbelievers heretics and heathens, in whose life, except that he is a heretic, men can find nothing to blame. I do not venture to give a hasty judgment. Just as the light of the sun or even of a lamp is certainly not less brilliant when displayed to bad eyes than when it is seen by better ones, but it is the same in the case of both, although it either cheers or hurts them differently according to the difference of their powers. And that language is a little opaque there, but Augustine seems to say that a person who calls himself a Christian but doesn't really follow Jesus compared to somebody who is not a Christian but they live a good life, Augustine said that's, that's, that gives a person pause about how we judge who is in and who's out, who's received God's grace and who has it. And then he says, essentially in this second paragraph, 
How does the person respond to the light they have? How do, how do they respond to that light? Augustine believes that we should preach the gospel and baptize and that salvation is within the church and with, is within Jesus Christ, but he doesn't make a hasty judgment about who's in and who's out based on their religious label. He gives it the thought this question deserves. We talked about Ulrich Zwingli last week when we talked about uh, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation. And Ulrich Zwingli lived from 1484 to 1531, and he was a leader in the Protestant Reformation in Switzerland. And he wrote a short exposition of the faith. And listen to what he writes. He says, Then you may hope to see the whole company and assemblage of all the saints, the wise, the faithful, brave, and good, who have lived since the world began. Here you will see the two Adams, the redeemed and the redeemer, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samuel, Phineas, Elijah. Elijah, he goes on to name these Hebrew Bible characters, and the virgin mother of God, of whom he prophesied, David, Hezekiah, Josiah, John the Baptist, Peter, and Paul. Now listen, watch this. Here too, Hercules, Theseus, Socrates, Aristides, and he goes on to name these Greek philosophers and, and, and then says, in short, there has not been a good man who will not be a holy heart or faithful soul from the beginning of the world to the end thereof that you, may not, that you will not see in heaven with God. Nothing hinders but that God may choose among the heathen those who shall observe his laws and cleave to him for his election is free. Wow, that's interesting. See, Zwingli believed in predestination, that God predestined before the foundation of the world who would be saved. Now, we talked about that last week, and, and there are different thoughts about that. But for Zwingli, God has chosen who would be saved, and God's grace reached out to those people, even those who did not hear the name of Jesus, God's grace reached out to them, and God saved them. And they will be in heaven because God has chosen them. That might be shocking to you. And then John Wesley was an Anglican priest and a spiritual leader in England who founded the, the Methodist movement. And he lived almost through the entire 18th century. And he was a missionary in, in Georgia in the United States briefly and, and lived during the American Revolution. And he wrote a sermon entitled On Faith. And, and this is what he writes about those who have never Heard. Regarding people who have never heard the gospel, no more, therefore, will be expected of them than the living up to the light they have. Sounds like Augustine. But many of them, especially in the civilized nations, we have a great reason to hope, although they lived among heathens, <laughs> those who did not profess to be Christians, yet were quite of another spirit, being taught of God by his inward voice all the essentials of true religion. Yea, and so was that. Mahatman, an Arabian, who a century or two ago wrote The Life of High Eben Yokdan. And the story seems to be famed, but it contains all the principles of pure religion undefiled. But the heathens, but those who are not Christians, and Mahatmans, Muslims, and Jews, we have at present nothing to do, only we wish that their lives did not shame many of us that are called Christians. We have not, not much more to do with members of the Church of Rome, but we cannot doubt that many of them, like the excellent Archbishop of Cambry, still retain 
notwithstanding many mistakes, the faith that worketh by love. So John Wesley, writing in the 1700s, is saying people who don't profess the Christian faith and Muslims and, and Jews, they respond to the light that they have and God holds them responsible for however they respond to that. That they somehow hear God's voice, His inward voice, and, and they, they retain, as Wesley says, the faith that works by love. So somehow in God's righteousness... Of course, for all of these authors, they're Christians and they believe that salvation comes through Jesus Christ, but they're saying God and God's righteousness is just and God's grace is at work in the world. And God does call people who may not even hear the name of Jesus and holds them accountable for however they respond to the light they have. And so this is obviously a different view than the exclusivist view that I was raised with. And again, it may be shocking to some of you. And another person who, who held to the inclusivist view was C.S. Lewis. He wrote in, in his letters, I think that every prayer which is sincerely made even to a false god is accepted by the true God and that Christ saves many who do not think they know him. And so... Throughout the history of Christianity, from Justin Martyr on, we see this, this strain of thought of, of the inclusivist view. So if you hold to the exclusivist view, of course, you're welcome at the well, and, and I respect that, that view. And then throughout the history of Christianity, we see there's been another stream of thought, the inclusivist view. Now, I want to show you a video. If you thought that was shocking, I want get ready for this. I want to show you a video that absolutely floors people that I've shown it to before. Um, they were not aware that he made this statement and, and um, it sheds light on the inclusivist view and who might hold to the inclusivist view. So Billy Graham was a Southern Baptist evangelist who preached face-to-face -to, -face to more people than anyone in the history of the world, over 210 million people face-to-face, -to, -face, to over a billion people through technology. And Billy Graham was interviewed several years ago by, uh, by a pastor on television named Robert Shuler. And, and Robert Shuler asked Billy Graham what God was doing in the world. And I want you to listen to Billy Graham's answer to Robert Schuller. Let's watch. Tell me, what do you think is the future of Christianity? I think everybody that, that loves Christ or knows Christ, whether they're conscious of it or not, they're members of the body of Christ. And that's what God is doing today. He's calling people for, out of the, the world for his name, whether they come from the Muslim world or the Buddhist world or the Christian world or the non-believing world. Uh, they are members of the body of Christ because they've been called by God. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but uh, they know in their heart that they need something that they don't have, and they turn to the only light that they have, and I think that they are saved and that they're going to be with us in heaven. This is fantastic. And I'm so thrilled to hear you say that. There is a wideness in God's mercy. There is. There definitely 
So the most effective Christian evangelist in the history of the world, who has preached to more people than anybody in world history, just said this, I believe that everybody who knows Christ and loves Christ, whether they are conscious of it or not, are members of the body of Christ. They may not even know the name of Jesus, but they turn to the light they have, and I believe they are saved. There are people who are very familiar with Billy Graham who just fell out of their chair when they saw that video. Now, a few days later, his organization sought to clarify his statements, but he made a clear statement in that video. This is somebody who has preached the gospel to more people than anyone in history for 60 years. And he apparently held to the, the inclusivist view, like Justin Martyr and, and, and perhaps Augustine and Ulrich Zwingli and John Wesley and C.S. Lewis. It's, it's also the position of the Catholic Church that may be surprising to you. And most mainline Protestant churches, Billy Graham seemed to hold that view. So if you hold the exclusivist view, you're welcome at the well. I have respect for you and your view, and, and you're welcome here. For those of you who, who have questions about that, I wanted you to know if, if you hold the inclusivist view, you are certainly not alone. Now, this means something to me personally. There are people at the well, a few folks, who call themselves agnostics. They have questions about the metaphysical claims of Christianity. They have intellectual questions that have not been resolved to their satisfaction. And yet at the same time, they are drawn to a Jesus-inspired spirituality. They want to be part of the community of the well. They want to love their neighbor. What Jesus said, all the law and the prophets hang on, love your neighbor as yourself. They want to do that. And, and they are drawn to the Jesus who touched the lepers and healed the sick and, and preached compassion and empathy. And they are very much a part of the well. And as their pastor, I look at them and I see their faces. And I know who they are. I know their stories. And, and my hope certainly is the inclusivist view. I, I look at them and just like Abraham, I think shall not the, the judge of all the earth do right. That however God looks at them, God's going to do what's right and, and what's just. My hope is for the inclusivist view. And now this must be said. This is absolutely something that we have to say in 21st century America. There are probably an alarming number of Christians who talk about Jesus and, and they talk about their Christian faith and, and they talk a good game. But I don't see the fruit of Jesus in their lives. Jesus made the statement, by their fruit, you will know them. You'll know a tree by its fruit. You can tell what kind of a tree it is by looking at the fruit it produces. And when you look at somebody's life, you can tell what they're committed to and what they really believe. By the way they, by the way they talk, the way they act, the way they treat other people. And, and so Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. And I look at a lot of people who are self-professing Christians, and I don't see fruit in their lives that shows the real Jesus that I see in the Gospels. I, I picked this piece of fruit out of my backyard. What kind of tree do I have in my backyard? It's not a trick question. How do you know it's an orange tree? Because this is an orange. Jesus says it's not really hard to tell what somebody is committed to. Now, I'm not their judge. I'm not God, and I'm glad I'm not. 
And at the same time, it's not hard to know that this isn't an apple. We use that cliche, apples and oranges, because it's just so obvious that, it, that it's become a cliche. Jesus says it's, it's not that hard to tell what people are really committed to if you just look at their life. And so we have people who talk about Jesus, but they support violence against their enemies. They, they support political authoritarianism. They seem to be motivated by, by racial superiority. And that is just not the fruit of somebody who wants to follow the Jesus that we see in the Gospels. I'm not their judge. I'm not God. But I can tell you this didn't come from an apple tree. It's really not that hard to see the fruit of somebody's life. And so back to what Justin Martyr said and Augustine said, there are people who, who yes, they call themselves Christians, themselves Christians and they, they, they claim to believe a certain creed. And then there are other people who follow a different religion or no religion, who are better people, more decent human beings. And that raises questions about who's in and who's out. So I also want to say, if you hold the exclusivist view, you have a, you have a question. Well, well, wait a second. Then why would we share the gospel? If God can somehow reach people outside of hearing the name of Jesus, then why would we even share the gospel? Why would we start a church? Why would we give sermons? Why would we share our faith at all? And this is what the missions professor said back in college when, when a student in our class asked him that question. He said, Jesus gave us the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So we want to obey the Great Commission. He said, Jesus taught things like love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus touched the lepers and Jesus healed the sick. And Jesus taught us to, to love our enemies and pray for people who persecute us. And, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, self-control, and so on. And, and he said, salvation is not just about going to heaven when you die. It's about the kind of person that you're becoming. And he said, as a Christian, we believe that Jesus helps us to be the best humans that we can be. Jesus helps us to be the best version of ourselves. Now, that's speaking from the perspective of a Christian, of course. And so that's why we share the gospel. Jesus elevated the marginalized. That's why we share the gospel. It's not, it's not just a theological discussion about who gets to go to heaven. But if we want to follow Jesus, it's about who Jesus is and, and, and talking about Jesus and living out our faith. And, and that's why I start churches. That's why I give sermons from the Bible, because I'm committed to that. As somebody who feebly wants to follow Jesus, I'm probably not very good at it compared to lots of people in the world who follow Jesus better than I do. But I, that's why I want to share the gospel. That's why I want to talk about Jesus, because Jesus helps me to be a better person. Jesus helps me to be the best version of myself, the best human I can be, to grow toward that, to take steps toward that. And so it's not just a theological discussion. 
I want to share my faith because Jesus helps me. I've experienced what Jesus has done in my life. And so ultimately, whether you hold to the exclusivist view or the inclusivist view, we share our experience of Jesus because of what Jesus means in our lives. So in my view, it shouldn't matter whether a person holds the exclusivist view or the inclusivist view. We want to share our faith. No, we don't put a target on people's backs and no, we don't try to convert people against their will and all the, all the silliness that we've seen. Some, you know, walk down the street with a bullhorn yelling at people. But of course I share my faith and I invite people to the well if, if the well is a community that's going to be helpful to them. And the well is, has grown quickly because there are people who are looking for a spiritual community like this. That's why we share our faith because we believe Jesus makes us the best humans that we can be. Now, this past Friday, a bridge collapsed in Pittsburgh, in a major U.S. city. A large bridge collapsed a few hours before the president was scheduled to speak there about the need for infrastructure. And this bridge spanned a ravine that was 100 to 150 feet deep. Can you imagine? There were cars traveling on this bridge and they said as the bridge collapsed, thankfully it didn't crumble, it, it essentially slowly collapsed in sections and the cars were able to ride the bridge down to the bottom of the ravine. I, I just can't imagine. Now, of course, first responders arrived at the scene and they repelled 100 to 150 feet down this ravine to rescue people who were injured. But then listen to this. The local news reported that there were bystanders who heard the noise of this, this collapsing bridge, who ran to the scene, and these people who were just there to help formed a human chain down this ravine, and one by one, they helped the first responders to pull injured people up this human chain, up the hill, to safety. Those, those people who, who ran to the scene, they were motivated by compassion, motivated by empathy, loving their neighbor. And I, I imagine there were probably people there of different religions or no religions, different ethnicities, orientations perhaps. The label didn't really matter at that point. They were just responding out of compassion to help these people. For me, as somebody who wants to follow Jesus, I see Jesus as the embodiment of those values. That's not to say that empathy and compassion aren't found in other religions, because of course they are. And of course there are people who are atheists and agnostics who believe in empathy and compassion and, and human values. Those are the things that unite us. For me as a follower of Jesus, I see Jesus as the embodiment of those things. So my faith in Jesus continually pulls me toward greater and greater compassion and empathy. I'm not interested in having arguments with people about, you know, my God can beat up your God. I don't think that helps anybody. But I want to follow Jesus and I want to share my faith in Jesus because Jesus calls me towards being the best human that I can be. And so whether you hold to the exclusivist view or the inclusivist view, we want to follow Jesus. And of course, we want to share our faith because of what Jesus is doing in our lives. 
And those of us who call ourselves Christians, we can relate to people of other faiths and people of no faith with respect and compassion and empathy because those are the human values that Jesus calls us to. And regardless of whatever view we hold, we believe that God loves everyone and we want to love everyone. And like Abraham, we say, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Whatever God does, whatever God decides about the fate of people, we'll leave that in God's hands. We'll follow Jesus and we'll share our faith with people who are drawn to that Jesus-inspired spirituality. I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for, well, first of all, these people in Pittsburgh who demonstrated what it means to love their neighbor. They displayed values that are the best of humanity. And for those of us who want to follow Jesus, we see Jesus as the embodiment of those values, loving your neighbor as yourself, compassion, empathy, elevating the marginalized, touching the lepers, giving sight to the blind, preaching, preaching hope to people who have been beaten down by life. And, and our faith in Jesus helps us to be the best humans we can be. And so regardless of whatever view we hold, we want to respect other people and love them as our neighbor. And of course we share our faith because our faith is making that difference in our lives. There are some who use the name of Jesus, but they don't seem to bear fruit. That would indicate that they're following the Jesus of the Gospels. God, we want to follow the real Jesus. And we do so humbly and doing our best to follow Jesus and, and Jesus' call uh, to, to grow towards the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be. And we thank you that we have that privilege of growing and becoming more compassionate and more humble and loving our neighbors. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.